0: Amen. All right, children for Children's Church, third grade and under, can go on out if they'd like. I'm thankful that Ken was with us this morning. Uh, it's been a while since we had Ken with us, and we're going to have to have him back and have him play a little bit more for us. But thanks, Ken. I sure appreciate it, brother. rest of you take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 4 with me again this morning. Ephesians chapter 4, and we've been talking about the church, and you know, it's, it's pretty amazing to look at the picture that God creates with His Word about His church. I mean, just in this passage of Scripture alone, God has shown us just an incredible power about His church. And, and something we've talked about it many times, the fact that today, it seems like anyway, at least in America, people have tried to claim that the church is no longer relevant. They've tried to co- claim that the church is no longer important. And really, the, the Bible just contradicts that. The Bible does not teach in any way that the church of Jesus Christ is insignificant or irrelevant or outdated or ineffective or any of those things. That doesn't mean there's not some churches that aren't ineffective and it doesn't mean there aren't some churches that don't need to change some things. But I'm telling you, the church, the true church that's serving Jesus Christ is powerful. And we've talked about that. We've talked about in this chapter of Scripture alone the fact that God has called us to walk in a manner worthy of His calling, which has to do with the church, being humble toward one another, being patient with one another, showing tolerance toward one another, working hard to preserve the bond of unity and the spirit of peace. I mean, we've talked about the fact that it's one body, one body. That's why we work together so well, or we're called to work together so well. We've talked about God gifting this body with these great gifts, these spiritual gifts that each one of us has. And we talked last week about those gifts, how God gives us A variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. A variety of ministries, but the same Lord. A variety of effects, but the same God that works all in all. I mean, we've talked about God giving us this beautiful picture. And then in the last part of verses 13 through 16, we talked about growing up into Him who is the head, even Christ, that we might be as His body, mature, strong, insightful, faithful, and making an impact in this world I mean the picture of the church that god has given us is a powerful picture and man i'm excited about it I, and I'm, I'm excited about what god's doing in our lives because god's beginning to, to give us a little bit of a vision of what will happen if we'll all step up and be what god created us to be in conjunction with the body not independent of the body man we live in a we live in a day where everybody wants to be independent we don't want to have any accountability amen how many of you like accountability Somebody make me do what I'm supposed to do. You like that? Nobody likes that. But the Bible doesn't allow us to not have accountability. I mean, you're accountable. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, a true disciple of Jesus Christ, you are accountable to be what God created you to be in conjunction with the body. You can't get away from it. And so here's this beautiful picture of this powerful church, the body of Christ that Jesus is building and working through. And then we come to verse 17 as we're about to read, and he's going to kind of get personal because he's going to tell us how we are to not live in relationship with the body and how we are to live in relationship with the church. And, man, it has everything to do with what God wants to do in this world. Everything. So Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart, and they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him just as truth is in Jesus. That in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and yet do not sin, Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with the one who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you this morning for just the glory and the beauty and the power and the conviction of your word. Father, I'm sorry that for so long. We have neglected to understand your body. I'm sorry that for so long the Church Universal has neglected to understand what you are creating and have created through your body. And I pray, Lord God, that you would forgive each one of us that has convinced ourselves that we don't have to be apart, we don't have to share the gifts, we don't have to walk together. It's all about us. It's all about selfishness. Father, please forgive us. And I pray that you'd open our hearts to the truth of what you've created. This church that the gates of hell will not prevail against as we go into this world and share the great gospel of Jesus Christ. Help us recognize that how we live in relationship to this church impacts the body at every level. impacts our testimony for Jesus. Help us realize that. And Father, as your word is proclaimed this morning, receive the glory as we respond to you. And Father, I love you. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, we're just going to take a look at the first three verses here. And I've kind of titled my message, Not Like a Gentile, because this passage speaks about how we are not supposed to live. Look at verse 17 with me. It says, So I say, so this I say, and affirm together with the Lord that we no longer walk, just as the Gentiles also walk. Now that's a pretty simple understanding, but he's not talking about living like a Gentile. A Gentile is anybody other than a Jew, in, at least in the scriptures, and pretty much today. But he's not talking about not living like a Gentile and living like a Jew. The reference to Gentile here is a general reference that's voiced throughout the scriptures about not living like an unbeliever. Not living like someone who's a pagan. Not living like someone who rejected Jesus Christ and does not know God. He's saying, do not live like those who have no Christ in them. That's what he's saying. Do not live like you used to live. Now, that doesn't seem like any big deal because we kind of live in a day where, man, it seems like anything goes, sometimes even in the church, right? What is the standard for us as followers of Jesus Christ What do we have to be as followers of Jesus Christ? What is our guidelines as followers of Jesus Christ? And I'll be honest with you, it's a pretty simple answer. That's the Bible. And ultimately the example that we have is Jesus Christ. The Scriptures tell us to be holy as He is holy, right? It doesn't tell us to not care about righteousness. It doesn't tell us to not care about our testimony. It doesn't tell us to live any old way we want to. The Scriptures tell us not to live like unbelievers. And the cool thing about this passage is that it's a pretty good picture of the type of world we live in today because the city of Ephesus was a cesspool of filth and sin and immorality. It was one evil, wicked city. I mean, to the utmost, where immorality was not only practiced but promoted, where you know, sin was not only you know, practiced but accepted, a place where you could go anywhere you want to get anything you wanted to do, to do anything you wanted to do, to just live wickedly, was absolutely, perfectly acceptable. Does that sound familiar to anybody here? Because you know what's so shocking to me is that today, that describes the United States of America. Did you know that one of the biggest industries in the nation of the United States of America is pornography? Did you know that? That one of the highest earning industries in America is pornography? And do you understand that pornography is no longer a shameful thing in most areas in our nation today? Most of it's just out there, right? Click on your computer, look in a gas station, go anywhere you want to. And, and honestly, it's it's so accepted that that we don't even think it's immoral anymore, almost. It's just crazy to me what has happened to the United States of America. Turn on your TV and see the filth. And it's filth. And yet we we love it because we justify it as, man, that's a great series. I love to watch that series. It's a drama. Or it's a comedy. Or Are you, are you kidding me? I mean, we live in a day where filth and wretchedness and immorality and sensuality and all the garbage is accepted not just outside the church but in the church and that's what he's writing here he's saying to the believers that you are to no longer walk like the gentiles walk you're to no longer think like the gentiles think You're no longer to be the person that you were before you were saved. And honestly, that ought to make some serious sense to those of us who have truly been born again. If you've been been born again, you know that Jesus Christ has changed your life. You're not the same person. Man, when I was saved at nine years old, I knew. I couldn't explain it the way I can now, but I knew I was different. Saved on a Sunday morning, walked down the aisle at my little Baptist church in Fairbury, Illinois, prayed with... Pastor Conrad, never forget, great man of God, love me. And, I, you know, you pray a prayer, and you're like, you ought to hear bells go off or something, right? Don't you think when you get saved something ought to happen? Lightning ought to strike, or bells ought to ring or something? But, you know, it didn't. And so I'm like, well, okay. You know, I'm nine years old. I did what I thought I was supposed to do, okay. But I remember getting up the next morning and getting ready for school, and here was my thinking. I'm literally in my mind thinking, I can't be the same person. I can't treat my friends the same way. I can't respond to my teachers the same way. I, and I didn't I didn't go, oh, I'm a new person. I just knew something happened to me. I got saved. And I was changed. And so God's saying through His Word, you can't live anymore like a Gentile. You can't live anymore like a sinner. You can't live anymore like a reprobate. You can't do it. You can't do it and be a part of the church and what God's doing. The church needs the believers to live like Christ, not to live like the world. Man, I had, a, had an interesting encounter this last week. I put this little blurb on my uh, Facebook profile uh, about being careful about what you let your kids listen to and, and stuff like this. Anyway, you can talk to me more about it later if you want to. But I got this interesting response. <clears throat> and really, this response was from a lady in my last church who was kind of radical in my last church and apparently still is. And she uh, accused me of, first of all, looking at this response from a Republican point of view, which I had no thoughts of whatsoever, because if you know me, you know I am not political. I couldn't care less about politics. And I don't want you to label me something, because I'm probably not going to be that. I'm going to vote where I, where I want to by prayer, by the way. couldn't care less about politics. So first she accuses me of being something that I'm not, really. And then in this response... She says, if you would just read the teachings of Jesus, you would know that our president is not the devil reincarnate. I didn't call our president the devil reincarnate, number one. But you are not going to tell me, first of all, that I have not read the teachings of Jesus, because I have. But second of all, you're not going to tell me that what this man stands for when it comes to abortion and homosexuality and immorality, is backed up by the Scriptures. You're not going to tell me that. And so I'm like, oh. (laughs) I had to pray for a minute because I was just about to just cut loose. You know, I can't really cut loose because, man, I can, I got a little bit of fire in me sometimes. And, man, I was like, all right, well, how do I respond to this? And so I, I basically write on there, well, first of all, I have read the teachings of Jesus Christ in His Word. Second of all, it doesn't calm my fears about our president because everything that I read about the Word of God stands against many of the stances he's, t- he's taken. And third of all, if I were you, I'd be careful about throwing the Word of God around lightly. Well, I didn't get much response back. Got a little bit. But you know what? That's what's happened within the body of Christ today. Somehow, We've decided that the world has more to offer us than the Word of God. Somehow we've decided that the sinfulness of the world is better than the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Somehow we've decided that the compromise in our, in our walk with Jesus Christ is the way to have success and blessings in this world. And the Bible teaches us that you can't do it. You can't do it if you are a believer. At least the Bible teaches us that you shouldn't do it. If you're a believer, because honestly, if you do, there's several things that that take place. It describes in the last part of verse 17, it says that, you know, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of your mind. Do you understand, believer, that those who don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior live their lives in futility, their minds and their thinking is futile. Now, man, I, I can't tell you how many conversations I've had about just this very issue right here. I've talked to people who are lost and told them, sorry to tell you this, but your thinking is flawed and your thinking's never going to get you where you want to be. Well, that's, <laughs> they don't like it when I tell them that because you know what? They'll go, well, I'm an educated person. Well, so am I. I've got a degree. So am I. So do I. I got a job. So do I. And you're lost and I'm saved and your life is headed nowhere and mine is headed toward heaven. See, that's what this is all about. The word futility literally means that which fails to produce the desired result and that which never succeeds. Now you think about that. If you walk like the world, then you live in the futility of your mind. In other words, the way you think will never, ever produce the desired result that you want. Because here's what we all want, ultimately, right? We all want satisfaction of our souls. We all want peace. We all want prosperity. We all want blessings. We all want safety. We all want security. We all want the good things. Lost and saved alike, do we not? But if you walk in the ways of the world, you will not find that. If you chase after money, money will flee from you. If you chase after possessions, possessions will flee from you. Will you have them in this life? Possibly. But most of the time, they never satisfy you anyway, or you wouldn't be chasing after more. Amen? But ultimately, if you live like a Gentile, and you turn Jesus Christ out of your life, and you live for yourself, Man, all you're going to find is emptiness. And if you don't know Christ at all, when you die, you're going to find judgment. That's all you're going to find. It is the ultimate futility, is it not? To live in this world chasing after every good thing you can find and just die and realize that it meant nothing. It meant nothing. All you built up, all you saved up, all your great you know, wealth that you left. The Bible says... Some fool will receive it, and it won't do you any good anyway. Or, if you leave your children a great inheritance without teaching them truth about who God is and how to walk in His life, your children will chase the same empty, meaningless dream you chased, and they'll die and go to hell as well. And what a blessing that is to leave your children. Man, we are to no longer walk. Like a Gentile in the futility or the worthlessness of our mind. Being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. Man, when we walk in the futility of our mind as the Gentiles or the lost person does, we end up with a darkened understanding, not better understanding, worse understanding because we're excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in us. Now, those are harsh words, aren't they? The Bible is an amazing book, is it not? Because it doesn't let us evaluate ourselves based on our own view. You ever notice that? You ever notice that most people want to evaluate themselves based on their understanding of who they are and on their own authority and on their own goodness? That's not the way the Bible's written. The Bible evaluates you and I compared to jesus christ the standard the one and only standard and it says when you walk like a sinner and live like a sinner then your thinking is futile and you'll never get what you ultimately want because you can't get it apart from jesus christ and if you live like that in that futility of your mind then your understanding will be darkened you'll have less understanding than you had before you'll be excluded from the life of god Because of the ignorance that is in you. Because of the thought that you think you know it all, when really you know nothing. At least about God. It's not like you can't know your job. It's not like you can't be a great engineer. It's not like you can't be a great nurse. It's not like you can't be a great electrician, electrical engineer, roofer, I mean, missionary. You can be all kinds of things in this world. But you can't have the wisdom and the understanding of God until you surrender your life to Jesus Christ and live for Him. And I'll, I will never forget standing in a driveway in southern Illinois, way out in the sticks. My first church, way out in the sticks. I used to love to drive out there because, man, it was so beautiful. And so many trees and hills and rocks and deer and turkeys. and I, I loved it. When we were way out in this sticks and i'm standing in the driveway with this guy whose wife comes to church and he doesn't and i'm talking to him about christ and he's like you know what i don't i don't want to know about jesus i know lindy goes and i let her go but i don't have anything to do with him i'm a self-made man i'm a big hunter i take care of myself i provide for my family blah 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 and i said well you'll never be the man never be a man until you know jesus christ he didn't go for that very well I was just a kid, 27 years old, had a little more fire than maybe I should have. But I meant what I said. You think you're a man because you can hunt a turkey? Because he showed me his big turkey, you know, fan. You think you're a man because you provide for your family? Well, big deal. Anybody can do that. You want to be a man? Have character. Have godliness. Have righteousness. Love your wife the way Christ loves the church. Love your children the way God wants you to love them. Raise them up so they'll have eternal life do that and you'll be a man. Well, he kind of got mad at me, believe it or not. Asked, asked me to leave. I was like, well, I was done speaking anyway. I don't care if I leave. You know? And so I leave and I'm sure he felt like he you know, was abused or neglected or some poor thing. But you know, I come to find out about this guy. I come to find out a few months later that he's been having an affair on his wife for a long time. He's less than a man. He's got no character. He's got no strength. He doesn't love his wife and doesn't love his children. He doesn't love anything but himself. You want to know what kind of man he was? He was a man that walked in the way of sin, whose mind had become futile, whose understanding had been darkened, who was separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that was in him. And listen, That's exactly what happens, and we end up in the hardness of our hearts. I mean, don't you think for a minute that you can circumvent the ways and the understanding of God and then claim to have wisdom? And don't you think for a minute, if you don't have God's wisdom, that you can actually live a life that's filled up with joy and peace and strength and comfort and overwhelming love Don't you think for a minute that your life won't be futile regardless of the activities you are involved with? And I would guarantee it, guarantee it, that if I could sit down with some of you today and talk about these things, you'd tell me your life is futile. And we could boil it all down to the fact that you are living a sinful, openly sinful life, rebelling against God. We could boil it all down to that. And I guarantee if I sat with enough of you, plenty of you would tell me, I don't care. Pastor, I don't care. I'm going to live my life the way I want to live my life. And if I have to suffer for it, then so be it. Well, here's the shame of that thought. Because honestly, if that's your thought, then have at it if it were just about you. But it's not just about you. It's about your spouse and it's about your children. And it's about the church. it's about all the world out there that's lost that needs you to live for Jesus Christ together with the rest of us living for Jesus Christ so that the testimony of Jesus Christ through His body would ring forth His goodness and His love and His mercy and His grace. It's not just about you. And it never will be just about you. He goes on in verse 19 and He finishes and He says, And they having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. Man, do you see the progression of those that live like Gentiles, of those that live like sinners? The progression is you have the futility of your mind. It doesn't bless you and lead you to better understanding. It leads you to a darkened understanding. It doesn't lead you to God. It excludes you from the life of God. It doesn't lead you to intelligence. It leads you to ignorance and a hard heart. And when that heart is hardened, guess what? Man, it says, having become callous, they've given themselves over to sensuality. The word sensuality means licentiousness. Anything goes. Anything goes. Man, when you harden your heart and you reject Jesus Christ, whether you are a believer or an unbeliever, this is true. If you reject the ways of God in your life, and you go after the things of this world, regardless whether you're saved or not, what's going to happen to you is you're going to become so callous that anything goes in your life. Man, I had a pastor friend. I didn't know him really, really well, but I knew him fairly well. He'd been in the ministry for, I'm telling you, 25, 30 years. After we moved away from Illinois... One of my other pastor friends, a good pastor friend, told me that this guy had been arrested in St. Louis for soliciting a prostitute who was an undercover policeman. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. I mean, this is a guy whose church had started a ministry to broken and hurting pastors, and he would bring them in. They'd pay for their weekends. He himself and his staff would teach these guys, minister to their wives, bring healing to them, I mean, he was, from the outside, just this really awesome, gifted pastor. But apparently, when the struggles of sin had come, at some place in his life, he had not walked in the ways of God. He had walked like a sinner. His mind had become futile. His understanding had been darkened. He'd been excluded from the ways of God. He had hardened his heart and he would become so calloused that at that point in time, and who knows if it was the first time, I don't have any idea, it doesn't matter. At that time, he had given himself over to sensuality, to absolute chaos in his life. And it cost him everything. Oh, yeah, his wife left him. The church let him go. I don't know if he ended up in jail. I don't have any idea. But it cost him everything. Because you see, it it says in verse 19, giving themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. Do you understand that when you walk for yourself that that's greediness? And you cannot be greedy and pure at the same time. Impurity and greediness go together, not separate. It's impossible to live for yourself and concerned about no one else and not be impure. It's not possible. And so here we see this shocking picture. And the warning is for believers. This is about the church. This whole passage is about the church. He's writing to those who believe. And what's so scary to me today is that within the church we take sin so casually we don't, we don't really want preachers who are going to preach about sin because, you know, how offensive is that, that that guy would stand up and point his finger at me? And that Maybe you've never heard that. I sure have. I this one old fellow one time says, Just remember, boy, every time you point one finger at me, you're pointing three back at you. I went, Just remember, I spent the whole week preparing my sermon with God pointing his finger at me. And when I preach the Word of God, if you don't like it, you take it up with Him. Man, we are so pathetic sometimes. And I'm not trying to be mean. But what do we think is going to happen if we as believers compromise on the righteousness of God? Do we think God's going to bless us? He's not going to bless us. He's not going to bless sin. He's not going to bless God greediness he's not going to bless licentiousness he's not going to bless that are you crazy I mean are you crazy that's the life when that's what Jesus saved us from in the first place that's the life we want to turn back to man God's saying through his word here's the good stuff and next week we'll come back and talk about some of the ways we're supposed to live and it's the good stuff so believer believer Is this this you? Are you walking like a Gentile? Do you look more like the world than you do like Jesus? And if you do, it's time to repent. It's, It's long past time to repent. Be the freak if you need to be. What's wrong with being a freak for Jesus? Who told you you shouldn't be a freak for Jesus? Who told you everybody in your family and everybody at your job place shouldn't know you're a born again believer? Who told you that? They should know. They need to know. You need them to know. Live for Jesus. Men, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you, you can't. You can't do anything but live like an unbeliever because that's what you are. And the way you're going to be set free from that futility and that dark understanding and that exclusion from God, the way... You bridge those gaps as you humble yourself before Jesus Christ who died for your sins. He paid the price for your sins. And you say, Lord Jesus, I believe in you. And I need you as my Lord. Reign in my life. He promises to save you as you walk and follow Him. He promises to walk and bless you. But you've got to turn from your sin and turn to Jesus. And if you don't, Nothing's going to get better, not now and not eternally. Let's pray together. Father, I love you, and I thank you for your word. I thank you that though it is plain and hard-hitting, Lord God, it is given as warnings and as calls to us that we might be saved and we might walk with you. Father, I pray that you'd speak to our hearts this morning. I pray, Lord God, that we respond and that we would obey And I do ask, Lord, that you be blessed as you touch us and change us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's stand and respond to the Lord this morning.